Hello! Welcome to the special Science Week edition of Oxford Skeptics in the Pub. Normally you come to these sorts of events and they tell you to turn your phone off. We don't do that. Uh, if you want to Twitter or tweet, uh, our hashtag is Oxford Skeptics. We just ask that you put your phone on silent. Um, so without more further ado, I'd like to introduce our speaker. He's our very good friend and f- original founder of Oxford Skeptics. Uh, talking on Steiner Schools, Andy Lewis. Thanks very much. This this feels very, very awkward. (laughs) Um, You can hear me all okay. Good. Uh, It's great to be back. I'm amazed it's still going. Um, (laughs) Thank you, Heather. Um, uh, (laughs) uh, What I'm going to speak about this evening is um, Steiner Schools. Um, Uh, If you're like me, until about a year or so ago, they probably existed somewhere on the periphery of your consciousness. You might have passed one occasionally. If you're on holiday in South Devon, you might have passed it on the way to Totnes or something. And you sort of had this vague general feeling that um, you'd heard that they were a bit hippie-ish and focused on the arts and creative uh, subjects and uh, had some sort of alternative philosophy. But that was pretty much it. And um, unless you were sort of into running around in the woods and so on, and yeah, it probably didn't. You probably didn't spend more than two minutes thinking about it, um, and, and that's pretty much where I was. Apart for two reasons, um, as you know, I write about alternative medicine on my blog and about its impact on society and so on. And so Rudolf Steiner crops up every now and again in that because he had lots of ideas about um, uh, medicine some of them quite odd from a conventional point of view. And uh, so there was always that thought in my mind, if his views were that odd um, about medicine, what were his views about education? And uh, so a little bit of a worry. But um, uh, so this evening, I'm, I'm going to try and answer a few questions. First of all, uh, so who was Rudolf Steiner? And, and what is his philosophy of anthroposophy? And uh, I'm going to struggle with that because I've had a, a drink. Um, <laughs> so if I get it wrong, I have to drink two fingers. And in the break, if you ask a question as well and get it wrong, you do too. Okay. Anthroposophy. Okay. Um, uh, secondly, so what is a Steiner and Waldorf school then? Once we've understood uh, Rudolf Steiner, so what is a Steiner school? And thirdly, should we be concerned about that uh, or should we embrace it? So the reason... Um, uh, I, I really got into this or, or focused on it because I, I, since moving from the Oxford area, I, I moved to Somerset and uh, last September, uh, a new Steiner school opened up. This one, the Steiner Academy in Froome, which is only a few miles from where I live. And so naturally, uh, with two small children, uh, it's on the radar as a, a potential school. This is now a state-funded school in Fr- Froome, opened up under Michael Goh's free school programme. So... Um, you can go to its website, like this here, and uh, try and uncover a little bit about what, what it is, why, why you should go to a Steiner school. And it says something like, the Steiner ethos is one of awakening the creative force that is in every child and letting it grow. Which sounds wonderful, wonderful, great. Uh, but what school wouldn't say that about what it's trying to do? Of course, all schools are trying to let kids grow and be creative and so on, perhaps in different ways, but that's not enough. And uh, the, the problem is going into the text here. I'm, I'm not really uncovering a lot more than that, apart from it's, it uh, works according to the principles of Rudolf Steiner's uh, views on child development, and uh, it uses that word holistic, which sets off alarm bells with me anyway. Uh, so I, I want to find out a little bit more. So I can go off to the... Um, Steiner Waldorf Schools Fellowship, which is the umbrella organisation that exists in the UK that links together all the Steiner schools in the UK. 
And uh, it tells me there that uh, Steiner education works for all children, irrespective of academic ability, class, ethnicity or religion. And various statements like that. And fantastic again. Oh, that's great. But what does it really mean? And why is that different from the local school in Shepton Mallet or Wells or whatever? So... Um, uh, that was a bit more of a puzzle. But if you go in, if you go into the frequently asked questions on this website, it starts to get a little bit odd, really. Uh, in particular, it um, uh, it tells me, well, who was Rudolf Steiner? It tells me that Rudolf Steiner was an innovative academic born in Austria whose ideas founded anthroposophy, and his ideas in this philosophy informed agriculture, medicine, architecture, and social reform, and so on. Uh, and he, he was a founding inspiration of Steiner schools. Again, wonderful, but it's not really telling me. It's different again. It's just it's based on the ideas of Rudolf Steiner. Um, oh, going back a second. And it also says something a little bit odd here, if I can remember. Okay, it says, so it's founded on anthroposophy, but it does not promote anthroposophy or endorse every aspect of it. So again, that's beginning to sound a little bit. So if it's based on anthroposophy, but not teaching it or, or whatever, what does that mean? And this is compounded by the fact that I stumbled across a document fairly recently, which was how to set up a Steiner school. And in it, it's quite clear that says the, the thing that, um, that you cannot compromise on is that a Steiner Waldorf school, as they're called in some countries, must be based on the um, uh, principles of anthroposophy. So they're not teaching anthroposophy, but a Steiner school has to be based on anthroposophy, whatever that is. We can go and look at the frequently asked questions and it starts talking about some things about uh, that are obviously directed at the school, questions that are directed at the school, such as uh, age-appropriate learning. So they, they, they see the right ages uh, to teach children uh, as being important. Uh, it says something very odd here. Why do you start teaching uppercase letters in class one? So it's a quirky thing and I don't understand why that is, so that needs to be explored. It talks about uh, science teaching. Is the science teaching at odds with current scientific belief? That would be a big alarm bells. Why would someone, why would that be on a frequently asked question about, are they teaching things that aren't current scientific belief? Do Steiner schools teach religion? They say, uh, they're, they're saying that they're, they're, they're non-sectarian and non-denominational, but have a spiritual aspect. So that's not really telling me much either. Are pupils labelled according to their temperaments? It says here, labelling of any kind can be at odds with good educational practice, which I would agree with. But then it goes on to say that children, uh, describe, um, Steiner described how knowledge of four temperament types can take, make the teacher's work more effective. So yes, they are labelled. They're labelled according to four temperaments. And we'll explore that in a bit in a minute, because that, that's alarming as well. Um, it talks about, is Steiner education elitist and racist on a frequently asked question? Uh, <laughs> I hope not, okay? We need to explore why they might to worry about such things. Um, if you go to Hereford Steiner School, which is the first Steiner School set up uh, and paid for by the state, and this was done under the last Labour government, so this isn't necessarily a, a political thing here, it was initiated under Blair's government, it says children, as part of being in the school, you should essentially withdraw your child from technology. It says here that uh, under eight's no television whatsoever, and at, by the time they're 14, at three hours of television per week at most. So they're really not wanting kids to use video games, computers, televisions and so on and withdraw them from that sort of electronic world until they're about 14, which is unusual, uh, not completely unusual, uh, but um, that would be hard in my family. I don't know about yours. <laughs> my three-year-old can use my iPad better than me. But uh, anyway, so it goes on to say, 
do the schools teach reincarnation and karma? It gets even odder now. Um, and uh, does the Steiner Waldorf Schools Fellowship respond to Waldorf critics? And it talks about how blogging leads to uninformed and deliberately abusive exchanges. So um, a worrying set of FAQs that we need to explore and understand why they might do that. So some facts and figures. Sorry around there. Sorry around the pillow. You're okay. Um, in the UK, there are about 34 uh, Steiner schools. Numbers are a bit vague here because uh, you can have a kindergarten, for example, that might not be fully registered or something like that, or very loose. But there are about 34 schools in, in the UK. Um, two of those are now state-funded. Um, uh, as of uh, a few years ago, we've got uh, here we can see the Telegraph announcing uh, it's a wonder when the Hereford Steiner School opened up uh, a few years ago. And uh, last uh, autumn, Quiet Country Lane uh, hosting a schooling revolution when the Froome Steiner School opened up. So this is the first one under the current free school program. Um, there are, th- we didn't know this number until a few weeks ago, but uh, Freedom of Information Act revealed that there are 13 applications for free school status in Steiner schools in the UK now. So we're seeing, if these are all successful, this would be quite a significant jump in the number of children being educated according to Rudolf Steiner. I know there are more than 13 because I know there are applications in place that are not listed in that 13, so it could be considerably higher. Um, And the Guardian reports, uh, has their time come? This is obviously something that's happening right now. So it's not just me with children living near a Steiner school. I think as a society, we need to understand what is a Steiner school. We're going to be paying for these schools very shortly. Um, so let's move on now. Rudolf Steiner and what is anthroposophy? Uh, it seems that we need to understand this in order to understand Steiner schools. So let's have a quick look at um, Rudolf Steiner. He, he was part of the movement at the end of the 19th century called Theosophy, which was this sort of uh, spiritual exploration, aggregation of uh, syncretic belief systems, sort of Eastern mysticism with Western esoteric traditions to form the sort of view of spirituality, spirituality and understanding of spirituality uh, that covered pretty much all uh, everything. And this was all part of that sort of popular spiritual revival that was going on around that time. And there was a couple of figures who were very prominent in this. There's Madame Blavatsky, who you might have heard of, who, uh, depending on your point of view, was either a gifted clairvoyant or a charlatan. Um, But also, interestingly, Annie Besant, who you might have uh, interesting views on, because she was uh, one of the pioneers of women's rights in Parliament and so on, and uh, founded the National Secular Society. But uh, she seemed to get involved with Annie Besant towards uh, the end of her life in this sort of spiritual, esoteric movement known as Theosophy. And Rudolf Steiner was part of that. He was really the, the heading up the, um, the German-speaking world in this cosmic, uh, spiritual quest for understanding the universe. Uh, and unfortunately, though, he, um, he, he split with the theosophists and took the German-speaking theosophists with him uh, and uh, changed some of the views somewhat. He, he brought more sort of Christian mysticism, I understand, I- into the belief systems and then wrote extensively about his beliefs. He wrote dozens and dozens of books and he lectured, which are all recorded, thousands of lectures which form this body of knowledge that um, uh, we now know as what he called anthroposophy. Uh, he died in the 1920s. Uh, quite suddenly, it seems quite short, uh, almost halfway through his work, there are clearly unfinished bits of his, his worldview here. Um, so, uh, he, he created anthroposophy, which means, 
the wisdom of man or the, the knowledge of man. And it's supposed to be an all-encompassing view of how we know about the world, okay, which encompasses both science and the spiritual world. And um, he wrote about large numbers of topics, uh, which we'll explore in a moment. But uh, th- this, this body of knowledge has lots and lots of followers around the world now. There are probably 50,000, last count, uh, members of the General Anthroposophical Society based in, in, in Switzerland. Uh, there are probably many, many more people than that who are either employed by anth- anthroposophical organizations or work with anthroposophical I have to drink. Uh, in the UK, there are about 250 uh, anthroposophical organizations, schools, charities, medical practices, uh, and so on. So this is a significant um, body of people who, who's, who work in all sorts of areas of our life. And you will know people who are involved in anthroposophy in one way or another. So what did he do? Art. Uh, art was a, these schools are art-based, um, and he had very distinctive ideas about art, uh, about how art could be a spiritual activity, and, and through expression of art, we could engage in a spiritual uh, growth, and at very specific forms. So this is very typical of the sort of wet-on-wet watercolours that you'll find inside a, a Steiner school. And Steiner pupils are encouraged to copy pictures like this, until uh, they, they get those techniques right. In fact, one of the criticisms of Steiner schools I've come across is that, that they're not creative at all. They're all about um, uh, copying uh, pre-existing forms of these art until they get a bit older. So this is very typical of um, the wet colours. Schools don't like black crayons, for example, because black is not a good spiritual colour, whereas peach is a very high form of a spiritual colour, so lots of peachy pastels and so on are represent a high spiritual form. Um, dance is very important. You, you've probably heard that Steiner schools, every day pupils are, uh, have to do something called eurythmy. Have you heard of eurythmy? Which is a spiritual form of dance. And Rudolf Steiner developed this form of dance, which um, was supposed to represent a high spiritual form and uh, had spiritual, spiritual significance, but also uh, uh, for growing your spirituality as well. It's almost curative in its, its uh, properties. Um, and it's very flowing, and uh, in fact, the, he described it as a complete opposite of primitive dance, which was basically jumping up and down to drums and so on. Uh, and we're going to do some now. <laughs> Only joking. <laughs> um, this is... A... The, these movements are, represent, are representative of spiritual ideas, I understand. And uh, uh, children could even spell out words and so on, like they learn to dance their name. So well, these moves are not arbitrary. They, they, are, they have significance for the person practicing them, in, in, for their spirituality. Um, I've had lots of um, teachers from Steiner schools come along to these talks, and anthroposophists and formal pupils, and uh, I think the one thing we can all agree on is that uh, the children in these schools absolutely hate it. <laughs> As you can imagine, they do. <laughs> but uh, you have to be in a certain mindset to enjoy this sort of thing. Anyway, that's um, Eurythmy. Nothing to do with Annie Lennox Eurythmics, apparently. Um, uh, agriculture is, is, is another... He wrote extensively about agriculture as well, this, how to work spiritually with uh, the farm and your gardens and so on. And uh, the idea is that you could uh, use the spiritual forces and the cosmic forces to, to help your uh, farming methods. And in fact, what I'm going to do is uh, hand over very quickly to a video here. Did anybody see Countryfiler a few 
Oh, good. Yeah, there's a few of you. Yes. I did this talk in Manchester last week. Not a hand went up. <laughs> I then had to go back and explain what a farm was. <laughs> uh, <laughs> but uh, I'm sure in Oxford you're not too far away from some cows. So. <laughs> a magnificent cow dome ice cream cone. So that was about as critical as the BBC got on these uh, uh, recipes that Rudolf Steiner came up with of making special manures that capture the cosmic force- forces to uh, uh, help your crops grow. And in fact, we would go on and uh, watch this perhaps in the break. They go on to bury these horns in the ground over winter, dig them up, and then mix them very specific, in very specific ways for about an hour or two, and then make almost you know well homeopathic preparations out of this 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 manure, which is then supposed to have captured some essences from the uh, cosmos to help your crops grow, um, uh, which uh, is wonderful. Um, you too uh, can learn how to do this. Um, you, you can go off to the biodynamic um, uh, website. This is called Biodynamics. You, you may have heard of this. You, you probably even bought biodynamic products, wines and cheeses and so on. In fact, the BBC uh, food producer of the year last year was an, a biodynamic um, uh, cheese producer. Um, so there's quite a lot of uh, this practiced by a lot of farmers who, who see this as more organic than organic in a way. But it's not, it's not ecological, as, as you might, as the biodynamic website describes it, or as it's spiritual. This is a spiritual form of agriculture that is supposed to put you in, in tune with those cosmic and spiritual forces that exist around you on the farm. Um, so that, there's the website. Demeter, that's like the Soil Association for Biodynamics that set the standards for biodynamic farming. Living near Glastonbury, uh, I've got lots of esoteric bookshops uh, on my doorstep. So I went in there and bought the biodynamic sowing and planting calendar for last year to help me grow my um, new garden. And it's full of astrological tables. You plant at, at days which have significance according to where the plants, planets and the sun and the moon are in the sky. And uh, you, you also harvest as well according to astrological principles. You also um, make recipes for dealing with problems. So if you've got slugs, there's a sort of recipe here for capturing slugs when the moon is in cancer and making like a homeopathic preparation from them. And you can also, if you've got mice destroying your your plants, you can burn them and cremate them and again make a preparation which you can use to spread and chase away the mice. So that's what biodynamics is. It's quite quite interesting. And if you're interested in this and want to go away and learn about it, there are courses in the UK that you can go on, uh, which I encourage you to do so. Um, this one is actually, uh, where is it? It's at Highgrove, which uh, uh, Prince Charles's farm, um, uh, which uh, seems to regularly run biodynamic courses. <laughs> uh, he'll crop up a few times here. In, in fact, it's worth mentioning Prince Charles because he is... Um, he seems to flirt with biodynamics and anthroposophy quite a lot. He, he, last year he went to uh, Jana in Sweden, which is uh, probably the biggest concentration of anthroposophists in Sweden, where he went to visit a, a biodynamic bakery and so on. So he's well aware of this philosophy and what it does. I, I'm, not, I'm not quite sure I'd describe him as an anthroposophist, but uh, a fellow traveller, I, I would uh, say. Um, architecture, uh, this is... Uh, Steiner's form of architecture. In, in Germany, some of the schools are built according to this sort of architecture. In the UK, we're not, not so lucky to have that, but very distinctive. Uh, finance and business as well, very very big in that area as well. We've got Triados Bank. Who's, who's heard of them? If you um, read the newspapers about the banking troubles at the moment, you want to put your money somewhere ethical, there's, there's two banks they usually recommend, which are, you can probably guess, 
Co-op and Triados. Triados is a Dutch-based bank. Um, it's got a big branch based here in Bristol, just down the road. Um, and uh, it, it, uh, it's an anthroposophical bank. It, it's difficult to tell from the website, but if you go into the Articles of Association, the first paragraph describes it as existing for anthroposophical purposes and aims. Uh, and it's run by anthroposophists. My, my colleague, uh, my office is in Amsterdam. My colleague, uh, his wife works for Triados. And uh, she was a bit alarmed when she started on the first morning. They had to do chants in the morning. So um, spiritual chants to, to help the bank and its, its goals. Um, you can go to the Triados Bank website, and uh, hats off to them. They they publish everything, they, they, who they lend to. So it's a very, very transparent bank. And in some ways, absolutely, that's a very great ethical standpoint. But it allows you to explore ideas about they're, they're funding lots of anthroposophical organizations like the Ruskin Mill Educational Trust here. And you can go off and see that this is indeed an anthroposophical organization. It says it's based on the ideas of uh, Rudolf Steiner here, and again supported by the Prince of Wales. And the Ruskin Mill Trust helps special needs um, students. It also publishes research. So, for example, here's some research papers. It's commissioned by Dr. Eric Sigmund uh, on things like technology and computing and early years, uh, reading and writing and so on. And Dr. Eric Sigmund then is very good at getting headlines in The Guardian, ban under threes from watching television and so on. And uh, here we are on, on the BBC News again, limit children's screen time, which ties in very nicely with some of Rudolph's ideas about how bad technology is for children's education. So that, that's Triados Bank. Software AG, any software engineers here? It's a big German uh, software company, again, founded by anthroposophists. It's privately owned, and their foundation donates money charitably for anthroposophical aims as well. So big organizations with lots of money floating around. Medicine, um, Walida. Um, you've heard of Walida? They're an anthroposophical organization. You can probably go into the high street in, in uh, Oxford here and uh, pick up cosmetics, homeopathic products if you're that way inclined, or, or made by Walida. And again, hundreds of millions of euros turnover in that. I'm going to skip through a lot of this because I know I'm pressed for time here. But again, if you go to the anthroposophic medicine websites, which describe what anthroposophy is, you can find out, for example, how big Walida is there. And it's a sort of medicine. It describes itself as an extension of scientific medicine. So you have to be a qualified doctor to practice anthroposophical medicine. But then you follow the ideas of Rudolf Steiner to extend your knowledge of medicine into things like homeopathy uh, and curative eurythmy sessions and so on. Uh, so the thing that is important, because in Steiner schools there is usually associated an anthroposophical doctor who will be there assessing the child's spiritual needs anthroposophically and prescribing homeopathy or eurythmy, speech therapy according to Steiner's uh, dictums as well. Um, and he takes into account uh, all sorts of spiritual aspects of the child, which we'll explore a little bit uh, later on. The soul development, the doctor will be interested in the Steiner School. Just a brief, they make a lot of money through Iskador, which I'll touch on very briefly, which is mistletoe treatment. Have you heard of that? Which is given to lots of cancer patients. In Germany, thousands and thousands of people take this. In the UK, you can get it in a few places uh, through anthroposophical doctors in the UK on the NHS. Um, Let's get on to education. So let's start talking about education. Um, Steiner Waldorf schools, they're known as Steiner schools in the UK, around the world, often Waldorf schools in the US and uh, South Africa and Australia and so on. Um, and we can see here, we can see that artwork on the walls, this, um, uh, the washes. 
Uh, what's quite noticeable is um, uh, very stylistic, obviously. There isn't that creativity, creativity you expect. In fact, one parent complains on the website that they have to give extra art for the child at home because they're all, always doing these sort of copying these washes and so on. And they cut the, pa- the corners off of paper because right angles, like the architecture is already, already rounded, right angles can hold negative spiritual influences. So everything about what you're doing within a school has these spiritual aims and goals, this um, esoteric goals, according to anthroposophy. Uh, Camp Hill, have we heard of Camp Hill? Camp Hill are, again, communities spread all over the UK, uh, which... Uh, are communities for uh, adults with various uh, disabilities, mental handicaps and so on. Uh, and uh, uh, by all means, um, very loving and caring environments. Uh, there are difficulties with Camp Hill, which perhaps we'll come on to later, which uh, hopefully you'll understand when I get into a bit more detail about what anthroposophy actually is. Um, in schools, one of the things I want to talk about as well that I worry about the pseudoscience in schools. Here's something from uh, uh, an old textbook we've come across. Here's... North America, South America, Africa, and Europe, and this is, of course, Atlantis. Uh, Rudolf Steiner had very specific views of human evolution and development, which we'll come on to. And these views, part of our history is embedded in myths, which sort of blends quite seamlessly with real history about the Greeks and Romans and so on. But we, we came out of Atlantis. Our, our species came out and spread around the world as the diaspora from Atlantis. Um, so, moving on. Spiritual science. So we need to understand what anthroposophy and spiritual science actually is. Okay, So this is the first important sentence now. Spiritual advancement through karma and reincarnation supplement, supplemented by access to esoteric knowledge available to a privileged few. Okay, This is a definition that I think uh, is used uh, in a number of places what, what anthroposophy and spiritual science actually is. So let's break that down. Spiritual advancement. Everything that Steiner did was about our spiritual uh, development and evolution as individuals and as species. Okay, so everything he did had that goal of increasing our spiritual uh, maturity. And the way we do that is by understanding that we are composite beings who our physical bodies are just one part of us, but our spirit and our soul reincarnate through successive lifetimes, sort of taking that idea from Eastern traditions. And how we incarnate is driven by our karma, and that is that the acts that we do in this life have an impact on how we manifest ourselves in future incarnations. So by having good karma in this life, hopefully our future incarnations will be better lives, Um, which is one of the reasons I worry about how disabled people are treated, because one of the things he viewed was that disabled people... They're disabled because of karma, and they must have somehow wanted to be disabled to work out some issue of karma, some bad things that happened in previous lives. So how do we do this? How does Steiner advocate that we advance our uh, spirituality? We did that through esoteric knowledge. Um, uh, That is, he had a body of knowledge about the truth of the world, and that truth of the world we can't understand in one go. We have to go through our own spiritual quest to understand that, aided by his lectures through meditations and through clairvoyance. And uh, by doing that, we can gain a, a greater understanding of the world than we might be used to here in this world. We, if you're not an anthroposophist, you have a very narrow view of the world. We have our blinkers on, and it's through this process, this esoteric initiation, if you like, that we can truly begin to understand the world. And, and there was a recognition that this is not necessarily, everyone can do this. There's a 
privileged few who can achieve the heights. And indeed, Rudolf Steiner set out um, various levels of anthroposophy. You could be a general member of the society, which are about 50,000 members. But through your spiritual journey and studying his works, you become a member of the first class, which is the inner core of initiates, if you like, who've reached that level of understanding of the world. And in that first class um, uh, core, people who've un- gone through his 19 lecture cycles, which are the esoteric belief systems, which uh, are difficult to get hold of. Maybe they exist in a few bits of German, but they're, they're essentially oral lectures that are given to initiate people into this inner core. So um, someone like me is not aware of those things. Uh, I could never truly understand the world of anthroposophy. Um, that's my limitation. Um, so what he did, did posit, though, what we can understand is that the spiritual world is real. Um, and he saw this as a science. He doesn't see this as a religion. Steiner schools say they're not religious because they see this as essentially an extension of scientific knowledge. This is a knowledge of man, anthroposophy. And that science can teach us to spell, but in order to read the world, we need to have extra techniques that extend science, and principally through meditation and clairvoyance. He saw that through clairvoyance, you could reach up onto higher spiritual planes and read what he called the Akashic Records, which are these sort of cosmic um, library uh, that's available to highly spiritually developed people through clairvoyance to look at both the past and the future and understand the true nature of the world. So his revelations came through his reading of what he called the Akashic Record on these higher spiritual planes. And so this body of knowledge we're talking about has come through clairvoyance, which drives his educational philosophy. Um, uh, Let's move on quite quickly. Within that, he wrote loads and lots and lots of stuff, but Talking about the, the things that people worry about anthroposophy, here's one of the first things, and that is that part of this view of human evolution coming out of Lemura and Atlantis and so on was that uh, there's a cosmic hierarchy of spiritual development. Uh, and so he viewed the lower animals, the fish and the reptiles, as being very well low down the spiritual hierarchy. But at the top we can see apes, we can see Indians, and at the top we can see Aryans. He, he wrote an awful lot about how... Um, the Aryan race, that Germanic Nordic race, the blonde hair and blue eyes, were, at the moment, the pinnacle of evolu- uh, spiritual evolution. Um, and that uh, each person proceeds through each race. We, are, we might start as spiritually lazy black people, he said, moving through spiritually displaced yellow people until we become blonde-haired and blue-eyed, uh, spiritually advanced um, uh, people. And our souls march through this, driven by karma. We get good karma, uh, we'll come back as Germans. Uh, yes, uh, we, we laugh. But this is, um, this is what I worry about now. Is The qu- big question is now, This uh, anthroposophists will say this is a very small part of Steiner's writings. And I don't believe that. I, th- I think that um, his view of human evolution, spiritual development, karma and reincarnation drives everything he wrote about. This is a cornerstone of his beliefs, this idea that we go through this this karmically driven uh, spiritual hierarchy. And he wrote lots about it. Here we can see pictures of um, uh, how different races use their brains. Black people use only the rear part of their brain, whereas white people use the frontal lobes and so on. You know, we're, we're developed differently. Um, and um, he wrote a lot about how 
the role of anthroposophy was to preserve the blonde hair and blue-eyed peoples because without our knowledge of higher spiritual development, we would return to a black-brown denseness, he described. Uh, So through anthroposophy, we can preserve this highly intelligent, spiritually evolved people. Um, So that poses a big question. I've tried to set out in 10 minutes what spiritual science is. How does that impact what a Steiner school actually is? Because that's that's absolutely critical now. Steiner schools could have nothing to do with all that, or they could still be driven by a lot of these ideas. So let's start having a look. What is a a Steiner Waldorf school? Um, Let's actually have a look at the core aspects of what drives teaching within a Steiner school. And this is the belief that because we are composite beings of body and spirit and soul, uh, when we're reincarnated, our souls and spirits do not reincarnate into, into us in one go when we're born. And in fact, when we're born, our physical bodies are, are maturing. But it's not until year seven, and seven is a esoteric meaningful number here, that the first spiritual aspect transformation will occur when the etheric body uh, incarnates into the child's body. And this coincides with the appearance of uh, adult teeth. And if you read some of his books on teaching, the adult teeth seem to play an enormous part in this milestone in spiritual development. So before you're seven, you're, you're not capable of um, having, as it says here, the strength to learn. So in fact, what you don't do is you don't learn. You imitate and you play and you, you do very basic things. And until you reach that transformation, it's only then can you start taking on greater intellectual activities. So when the sites talk about, based on Rudolf Steiner's view of child development, this is what we're talking about here, that children cannot learn until uh, they've reached this milestone. At 14 years, the much more significant uh, milestone happens when um, the astral body enters the the child's body and incarnates. And this gives uh, knowledge of acquiring faculty and it gives them the strength to take on things that might be spiritually dangerous like technologies and so on and science so that uh, children are that's why children are not uh, 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 discouraged from engaging with computers and televisions and game boys and led trainers whatever it might be uh, because uh, they don't have their astral bodies in their bodies yet and can't cope with the spiritual demands that those will place place on their their undeveloped uh, incarnate bodies. At 21 years, um, you become the divine self, or you're a fully incarnated human being. So what we've got to view a Steiner school as is not a place of education, but a place of spiritual midwifery, where the role of the teacher is uh, to help that child's spirits incarnate into a child through a series of um, stages. And that education has to be based around that so that it doesn't damage that child's karma and that child's spiritual development. And one of the ways they do that is by making sure that their, the teaching is appropriate to the child through the, the four temperaments. So a child will be categorized according to whether they're melancholic, phlegmatic, sanguine, or cleric. Yeah. <laughs> yeah. Uh, based on their physical characteristics, the size of the head, the shape of their body, whether attractive or fat, the color of their skin. And they'll be, if we were a class here, we'd be divided into four, with a phlegmatic and a choleric in, in different places. And the way we are dressed as children, the tasks we're given, our, the amount of eurythmy we do, and all that sort of stuff, will be driven by this arbitrary uh, pseudoscientific um, classification. Parents aren't necessarily told about this. Children aren't necessarily told about this. This is one of the things I, I worry about. And I think it's one of the areas where some of these 
more very suspect views of, of the racial hierarchy, I think, might be subtly influencing, uh, maybe unconsciously, the way children are taught. And you can go and read about this. A lot of this, we have to be a little bit careful about reading stuff on, on the web because Steiner and the Anthroposophical Society write stuff for public consumption and the stuff for internal consumption as well. And they can mark, be quite different in the sort of detail and the things they go into here, some of it's... But a lot of Steiner's lectures are available online for you to go and read those that have been translated into English anyway, unless you're fluent German speakers, which is a trouble here. Um... Is it a religious environment? They, they say we're non-denominational and so on, thing, but the spirituality of Steiner's cosmos drives everything as well. Steiner saw the spiritual world as driven by two uh, evil entities. On one side there was Lucifer, and on the other side there was Araman. This is Steiner's carving of Araman here. And Lucifer was a, uh, a spirit of light, and Araman was of darkness. And Lucifer was of creativity and... Um, Araman was of materialism and science and technology and dark things about the world. And Steiner viewed that the universe was a great big battle between them and we had to be balanced individuals. And because we live in an Aramanic age of technology, the role of the Steiner school is to massively counterbalance the Aramanic forces in the world like technology and LED trainers with creativity and arts, the luciferic forces in the world so that we could become balanced souls. Um, and the Christ figure figures in there somewhere as well as a, uh, a sun god or, or something like this. So when they describe Steiner schools as being based on a Christian tradition, it's not one that perhaps you would recognize. It's, uh, it's an aggregation of all sorts of Eastern and Western esoteric spiritual ideas with the Christ figure portraying something quite different from perhaps how he does in um, Down the Road in the Sea of East School. Uh, we can talk about that in the break as well, I think. Um, because this was a, a spiritual and religious quest, even in the 1920s in Germany, Steiner recognized that this might cause trouble if this was explicit. So he said, don't use words like prayers. Okay, What we're going to do is opening the school day with words, words for the day, which tends to be a rhyme talking about spirits or something, which still goes on absolutely within Steiner schools at the moment. So prayers are said, except they're not called prayers so that um, children don't go home and said we were doing prayers today. Um, um, he talked a lot a bit about how reading and writing, he, in this passage he describes how he didn't learn to, he was reading until he was 13 or 14 years old, which didn't do him any harm, as he says. Okay, So again, this he's, he's impelling his teachers to delay these things that could harm children's spiritual development. He saw reading as a way that could interfere with his reincarnation. So I, I worry that Steiner schools are, in fact, not places of education. They're actually places where anti-educational are holding back a lot of children's desire to read and write and to be technical and all these sort of things. Some children might thrive in that environment, but it's likely that your children might have different temperaments, a real temperament, rather than one of these medieval ones. He said, this is an interesting passage where he said, uh, an institution like the Independent Ward of School with its anthroposophical character has goals that, of course, coincide with anthroposophical desires. Although at the moment, if that connection were made official, people would break the Ward of School's neck. He, he was telling his teachers to essentially mislead parents and officials that the anthroposophical nature of schools. Um, so when we see websites denying the links or Lit, uh, making the links with anthroposophy, anthroposophy appear quite small, is that because they've moved on or are they still following Steiner's advice to 
to distance themselves with some of these esoteric beliefs when they're teaching children? That, that's a, a challenging question. Um, he, he told teachers that you could let people into the school but be w- very wary of letting people in to see what was going on there and perhaps doing when nothing was going on uh, so that uh, officials and parents couldn't uncover the um, the significance of the, what they were doing within the school. Um, what I'm going to do you now, uh, um, this was um, a BBC um, programme, Inside Out, in the South West, uh, with the, the rather wonderful Sam Smith, who's done lots on homeopathy and all sorts of things, uh, exposés. But uh, I was at a meeting, I, I met her a couple of times last summer and was talking about these issues. And so she went into Froome Steiner School and filmed this, which was fantastic, putting very specifically to the headmaster there, or the principal in the school, some of these concerns about racism and the fact that what they were doing was guiding people's karma and reincarnation through the education system. And this is how the principal responded, and I think this is very important. So let's repeat what he said. Um, He said, uh, he talked about Rudolf Steiner, did he believe in reincarnation? Um, He said, I wouldn't say that he believed in it. Everything he wrote about was about reincarnation and karma at one level or another. So what was Trevor Mepham doing there? I don't know. Uh, does he not understand the sort of school he's heading or what the anthroposophical nature of the school is? Or was he misleading the researcher in the BBC there? I genuinely don't know. Um, but it seems to fit in with this idea that Steiner impelled his teachers to distance the schools from these ideas, these spiritual, esoteric, occult ideas. Let's move on. Uh, the curriculum, what do they actually teach? Um, uh, we can see a lot of this because until quite recently... Uh, there was a teacher training course in Plymouth University for a uh, PGSE-like thing for Steiner teaching with a reading list, lots of Steiner books and anthroposophical books. So we can see how teachers were trained. Um, and there's things like this. A Darwinian mechanism delivers clarifying power within a certain range of phenomena but is rooted in a reductionist thinking of Victorian ethics and the young people need to emerge from school with a clear sense of its limits. Which sounds fine, but what, they, what Steiner, what they want to do there is undermine this sense that we can explain evolution through Darwinian mean, needs. We need spiritual means to explain how, how we are as well. Okay, um, he, he believed, and I, do, I hope they don't teach this, okay? but he believed the British, this is geology now, he believed the British Isles floated on the sea and uh, was anchored in place by cosmic forces. Okay? And he impelled his teachers again to, to teach this. And uh, his teachers actually kicked back a bit, but he said, no, somehow we must find a way to do this. Um, the, the British Humanist Association have scoured a lot of the materials as well and come up with a number of interesting things. In chemistry lessons, uh, the atomic theory of matter is undermined by showing that homeopathy is a, is a phenomenon that can't be explained by atomic theory. Therefore, atomic theory must be wrong. Okay? He says, uh, in life science, the circulation of the blood is not a closed system. The pump model is not sufficient to understand the circulation of the blood. He, he t- thought that the pump was not a, uh, the heart was not a pump, okay? that our blood coursed through our bodies driven by the spirit, and that just caused the heart to pulsate as it moved through. Yes, we laugh, okay? um, but I did this talk a few weeks ago, and there were a number of anthroposophists in the room, and one of them put their hands up and said, recent research in South America has shown that to be true now. So um, this is actually believed within the movement that the heart is, is not a pump. Um, it goes on, uh, germ theory. Germ theory is downplayed as well, has been incomplete as well. Um, 
uh, he Steiner believed in homeopathy, and the anthroposophical doctor is a homeopath, so that's quite natural for a homeopath to sort of dismiss germ theory and reject things like vaccination, which has an impact on on the school, which we'll see in a moment as well. Um, all sorts of things. There's all sorts of wonderful things. You, I've got a number of textbooks. They're absolutely wonderful to read. I, I urge you to try and get hold of some and um, uh, be amazed. Um, so methods. What actually goes on inside the school? Um, uh, and the, some of the consequences of this. Um, we talked about the, the, the dislike of vaccination amongst a lot of anthroposophists. There was an, uh, an Olympics in, um, recently in uh, Michael Hall's school, Intersteiner Olympics. It had to be called off because too many kids had measles. It, the, the, the HSE views anthroposophical uh, communities as centres of unvaccinated people and so at risk for for these diseases. So if you look where the measles outbreaks have been occurring around the UK in the past 12, 18 months or so on, you can correlate them with Steiner schools and places like this. These are local clusters of unvaccinated children. Um, this is Dr. Michael Evans talking about uh, feverish illnesses like measles because Steiner believed that measles was a good thing for children, that it was a transformative disease that helped the spiritual and physical development of a child. And if a child died, that was karma. Um, so this Dr. Michael Evans, who said that um, uh, he's talking about now in a book that I've got about uh, feverish Ill- illnesses remould the physical body. So they're part of a child's development here. Michael Evans sits on the medicines regulator of the government at the moment, advising the government on uh, the efficacy of homeopathic products. Michael Evans also talks about... Um, Diseases like AIDS that might also be taken to suggest that increasing number of people suffering from such disorders may be connected with the widespread and indiscriminate use of antibiotics and paracetamol, paracetamol, which weaken the immune system. So we can't expect children in a Steiner school to be given antibiotics and paracetamol if, by these doctors if needs be. Um, the other criticisms that you'll see on the web of Steiner schools coming from parents who very often call themselves survivors, who have realized that their children are falling behind or there's an underlying spiritual goal within the school, they, they complain about rote learning. That uh, Although it's presented as progressive, children sit down there and they have to copy off the blackboard. That's how they teach within a Steiner school. Questioning of teachers is discouraged. You are told and you copy, okay? Um, you imitate the teacher, you copy pictures, you copy other things as well. So there's a very restrictive view of how, how you learn. Another common theme is that bullying is unchecked as well because uh, there's a belief that, uh, suppose that, say that bullying is part of children working out their karma, that the bully and the, the bullier are reversing their roles from previous lives and you need for karmic reasons to let that play out. Um, which has consequences for some children, as you can imagine. There's obviously the shunning of technology we've worked about, the shunning of art outside of Steiner's very strict rules, like black crayons and other media, and the rejection of the advances in science. And there's there's a few reports as well about how racist things still exist within the textbooks and so on. There was a teacher, a parent in the UK from a mixed-race family who had to pull their child from a Steiner school when uh, the child complained that the teacher had read out a poem containing the word nigger. And uh, uh, she was told off for questioning the teacher. And so the parent found out and obviously, as you can imagine, was a little bit upset by that. So should we be concerned? Uh, hopefully come to the end. we get up to the bar in a moment. Um, 
this is Meadow School, also very close to me in Somerset. Um, this here is Emma Craigie, who's been the biggest advocate for the Steiner Free School Programme, uh, working with government to get this going. Uh, she she um, lives locally in Bruton in Somerset and has been involved in the Meadow School and so on. Uh, and she's had meetings with government advisors over the years and been driving this whole program. This is her. Whoops! This is her sister here, Annunciata Rees Mogg, who uh, um, who stood for uh, to be MP uh, in this constituency as well, but failed. But her brother was successful in the neighbouring um, constituency. What's his name? Jacob, Jacob Rees-Mogg, isn't it? Yes, the MP for the 1920s. And um, uh, we, know, we know who this is as well here. This is Michael Gove. Um, so he, he's very familiar with um, this campaign and what's going on here. Uh, the Meadows School shut down last autumn because all the pupils here, as soon as you started paying for the Froomsteiner School, all the pupils here transferred from this school, fee-paying school, to... Uh, the school that you're paying for now. And this seems to be a common model with a lot of the schools that are opening up now as well. They're being opened up very close to an existing private school, so those pupils will now be, um, it'd be your responsibility to pay for them uh, in the coming years. Um, I wrote to my local MP in the neighbouring constituency, Tessa Munt, Liberal Democrat, about my concerns here. Uh, what she said was the minister has assured me that he would not have approved any free school that raised concerns of the nature of Dr. Lewis. Um, so basically she's saying everything I say can't be true because if it was true, uh, they wouldn't have approved the school. Um, a similar letter here from uh, Lord Hill of Orford, who was now leader of the House of Lords as well, who's an education minister, basically saying the same thing, that... Um, uh, it can't be true because we, we did thorough investigations into all of this and uh, we were quite happy with what we found. So should we be concerned? I'm going to skip over this is, um, because it's not too important. Well, there's a French teacher who was in the Palestine School who, who wrote a long expose of experiences within there that confirmed a lot of these concerns that children, uh, the school was misleading parents, misleading regulators about the nature of what they were doing. When they were inspected, they employed techniques to mislead inspectors and so on. And there was all sorts of things going on inside of there which uh, were unhealthy to the point that even one of the parent, uh, pupils was living with a teacher uh, openly uh, and because it's a closed environment nothing was done so how did the government come to this opinion that uh, this is all wrong and I'm wrong and um, uh, it's all harmless fun uh, this is a report commissioned under the Blair government uh, called the Woods Report which was to look at Steiner schools uh, leading up to the first funding of Hereford and uh, it's a little bit odd really because uh, it's a great big long thick report um, but some of the things in there are really towing the anthroposophy line in here. So, for example, it says, Steiner's own statements, which may be interpreted as racist because they are culture-bound and carry the racism of an earlier time, or taken out of the context in which they are spoken, appear racist to contemporary ears. How many of you think that racism is only uh, racist uh, because we live in contemporary times? Uh, I'd say it's racist now as well. Uh, but this is the sort of thing that um, apologists for Steiner schools would say, that he lived in 1920s Germany. You know, what do you expect? Um, which is fine, but if that's still the guiding philosophy of the teaching environment, then it matters right now and not in 1920s and 1930s Germany. 
It talks about um, the Steiner School curriculum is not designed to guide and encourage young people into becoming adherents of anthroposophy. Rather, Steiner education and the maintained sector share the goal of enabling pupils to grow into adults capable of thinking for themselves and making independent judgments. Um, uh, although it does say um, anthroposophy here guides all the principles of uh, teaching. Again, that, that thing that seems to come straight out of the promotional material of uh, Steiner Schools. It talks about Steiner Schools, the government should not promote Steiner Schools as being faith-based or based on a dogma. It, it says that's what we should conclude, that they're not based on any spiritual view of the world. This is, a philosoph- this is a psychology and a philosophy. And it talks about, nonetheless, we need to hold these schools to account in different ways to main, mainstream schools because they're a different nature. So it's calling for them to be inspected and judged in in very, very different ways. Uh, This report also says that uh, 70% of teachers, when questioned, uh, said that Steiner education subtly influenced or predisposed pupils to be open to the spiritual world and anthroposophy, which contradicts what they said earlier on in the report. Um, Although it does encourage children to be free thinkers. I I don't buy that. Um, it talks about the unwillingness of some Steiner educators, teachers, to take on board advances in modern scientific knowledge. And indeed, much of the, the curriculum is still based on 1920s view of the world and a pseudo-scientific and pseudo-historical view of the world uh, come to that. So the advancement in the curricula, even in this report saying it doesn't really happen. Um, and uh, this report puzzles me because it, it's really repeating a lot of stuff that... Steiner adherents would say themselves. So we're going to find out who wrote the report, who were the Woods, and um, here's Glenis Wood here. And uh, we can see that Glenis' spiritual path has led her to participation in numerous spiritual workshops and to initiation of the priestess of Shekinah and the Divine Mother Sophia into the order of Lord Melchizedek and the Violet Robes and into the work of the, net mothers, the grandmother's net of light. Formerly, she is an inner brother of the White Eagle Lodge and blah, 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 master Atlantean crystal healer, uh, angelic healing and so on. And she does do free absent healing for you as well. Uh, I would suggest that this, this person is not an objective evaluator of an educational system. And it's no wonder that she uh, saw Steiner education as being quite normal and um, uh, uh, to be encouraged. Uh, what can we do to wrap up uh, the media rubbish? I'm going to do this very quickly. They write rubbish and very soft about it. So here's a Guardian. Jeevan Vasagar interviewed loads of people, Steiner survivors, teachers, critics and so on, but wrote a very quite wishy-washy article that failed to get to the roots of this problem that I believe Steiner schools are not open and honest with parents about the nature of the schools and their goals and aims. Uh, so it missed that entirely. Lots of Guardian, people involved with the Guardian seem to be involved with Steiner education as well. So here's Jemima Kiss uh, advertising a, a teacher placement. Um, Yvonne Roberts saying, isn't it wonderful that Steiner schools don't produce exam robots? That's because the kids don't take exams. Here's Deborah Orr, who's married to Will Self, of course, who uh, is looking for a Steiner school for her, one of her children. And when I sent her a link saying, you probably ought to know this, she called me a sanctimonious prick, which is probably true. Um, uh, but um, And 
articles like this, their time has come, okay, and uh, not a guarding, reading weirdo in sight. For a left-wing, supposedly progressive newspaper, they seem to be really failing to grasp that this is a quite a right-wing, reactionary, uh, pseudo-scientific, backward-looking educational system um, with a hidden agenda, I would say, as well. But bloggers, I, I, I'm doing these talks to get people talking about this. I may be wrong in a lot of things. I haven't uncovered everything. Uh, there are lots of people with different views out there, but we need to start thinking about it and writing about it. So James, there's an example here. James Gray, who, who's a great blogger, uncovered the fact that Software AG, uh, the software firm, were donating £2 million uh, pounds to Aberdeen University to set up an anthroposophical chair of medicine based on the medical views of Rudolf Steiner. So he wrote about it in his blog saying, What? And um, this was picked up by the THE. Aberdeen looks to feather its nest in a field dubbed pure quackery. Uh, the Guardian at this point did write that uh, holistic unit would tarnish Aberdeen University reputation. So by writing about this and exposing the issues here, bringing it out into the daylight, we can make a change because very quickly Aberdeen saw the light of day and decided this was £2 million it didn't need. Um, so that's the end. We're going to have a break and a, a, um, some drinks now before... Um, We'll have lots of Q&A afterwards, okay? All right. Drinks? <laughs> ladies. Okay, welcome back, ladies and gentlemen. Is everybody suitably refreshed? Uh, um, just two more plugs. Uh, this is a special event in, for Oxford Science Week. There are lots of lovely science-related events going on all around Oxford, uh, if you are interested. Google them, find out what's going on, get involved. And uh, this time next week we have, uh, excuse my pronunciation, Sunil Edamaraku, who's talking about rationality in India. It's going to be an absolutely amazing talk. So if you can come along next week, please do. Um, any questions for Andy? Wow. Uh, I, I see he died in, in um, 1925. Yes. I wondered how much he got involved or with Andre Breton in, and surrealism. Uh, and it, my, my wife's just been doing a PhD in Andre Breton's poetry and, and, and Good the, the poetics of hermeticism. So it, it's uh, obviously all related. And I just wonder whether there's much connection or not. I have no idea. I, <laughs> this is a vast, vast subject. And I do feel that in some ways I've skimmed the surface of the whole world of anthroposophy. <laughs> Uh, you know, if, if you go out there and start researching this, you will find connections all over the place and people and places. So, yeah, amazing. <laughs> How did Steiner's um, coming from Atlantis theory sort of go in, coincide with his evolutionary theory? Um, that's, that's a good question. I've read a little bit about that, uh, uh, and I, I don't claim to, to fully understand all the ins and outs. He he saw um, he saw the the people of Atlantis coming out and forming the various races of the world and so on. And he saw uh, people going to India and so on. And he saw people come to Europe. And he saw the Germans as being the sort of like the Brahmin class of Europe, whereas in, in the Indian continent they had their own Brahmin class as well, the most spiritually evolved people growing out of Atlantis. So it's, it's part... If you, one of the things that's criticised about Steiner schools is that it's very Eurocentric in its view of the world. Everything's about... Europe and especially the supremacy of uh, the Aryan race and um, 
it's intertwined with all sorts of mythology and history. You know, the history of the Greeks is told to children at various stages through their, their childhood and so on as being, um, when they're ready to understand the Greeks and the Romans and so on. And of course, there's no history after the 1920s, of course. Um, uh, so it, it's, um, it's this weird mixture of real history and mythology and fantasy and pseudoscience and so on combined with a spiritual Evolution. Very weird. Um, what can, <clears throat> excuse me, what can you tell us about the educational attainment levels of former Steiner students? And presumably they're not subject to things like GCSEs and A levels. Uh, that's another vast subject. Um, and it, 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 first of all, it's very difficult that, because if, if you go to, if you were an advocate of Steiner education, they'd come up with lots of research and shown and shown how wonderful they are, of course. But this is, essentially research done by the Steiner movement. Um, uh, and of course, you will always find, if you go online and start debating this as well, you will find people saying, my child went through Steiner school and now they're studying something here in Oxford. Okay, So you will find, obviously, cases of excellence. Um, we have to sort of unpack that a little bit in that... Um, uh, up till a few years ago, uh, all children going to a Steiner school... Uh, were fee-paying, so they're not a natural demographic that's comparable with what's probably going to a could go to a, a free school. Uh, and within that as well, um, a lot of children don't go all the way through. Some people might come in for the last few years or have gone at the beginning. So there's lots of ways in between where they could have uh, been exposed to more traditional education as well. So unpacking a lot of that is very difficult indeed, comparing like with like. What we do know, what we do know is Hereford, which was the first free school, uh, when they became a, uh, an academy, when they became an academy, introduced GCSEs, and they now offer state-funded children the possibility of attaining a total of five GSEs. None of them in um, science or technology. Um, they claim they claim that uh, the results for those children are above average. Okay, I, I haven't checked those figures. Even if they are, I think we'd probably need to unpack that. What that really means in terms of uh, they're obviously learning a lot fewer GCSEs than other pupils, um, and coming from different backgrounds and so on. And there's also a figure that their turnover in the school is, is a lot greater than uh, a mainstream school as well. So children there might be staying for a few years and moving on or coming in quite late and something like that. So comparing like with like is very difficult. I think from first principles, though, we'd have to be deeply worried that uh, children are not learning um, a lot of things that they are learning in mainstream schools until very late. 14 years old seems to be a big divide when they start learning quite traditional subjects and so on. Um, and you you then have a lot of anecdotes from what I call Steiner well what they call themselves Steiner survivors, who people who who have gone into Steiner education because they love the idea there's children running around the woods chasing gnomes and whatever it might be, and love that sort of idea of an unhurried education that's advertised, but then quickly realise that children are not learning anything. Okay. Uh, and so start questioning what's going on. I've been doing this talk, sorry, this is a bit of a ramble now, because it's a fascinating area. Um, I've been doing this talk, this is my tenth time, I think, and I had someone in, in um, one a few few weeks ago, a woman who stood up, who said, I went to a Steiner school all my, all my education. 
And I really resent it now because I didn't learn anything. I came out with French and German and that was it. Okay. So she's very good at French and German. So, because <laughs> they do specialize in languages, but she felt she's missed out on the whole breadth that uh, a more mainstream education could provide to her. So uh, it's a challenge. They they obviously promote themselves enormously. They they use like those snippets like Hereford a, achieves greater results in comparable schools, but they only get five at most GCSEs. It's a challenge. Did I answer your question? It's very difficult, very difficult one to answer. It's just just an aside. I said presumably there weren't a lot of them studying geography. Yeah. <laughs> I mean, your question goes off into a whole other area that I haven't been able to explore this evening. Like, uh, uh, one of the things when the the Steiner movement is currently engaged in trying to disassociate itself from all the mainstream uh, reporting requirements and inspection requirements, okay? So they can't be judged, okay? So uh, about two months ago, they suddenly uh, got an exemption from all the early years foundation reporting type. Uh, so because they're not being taught to read and write, so they don't want to report on that. Okay, so if you go to a kindergarten or, you know, your, your child, and you know, they're not going to be taught and you'll never know. It's worse than that, but maybe another question will expose it. <laughs> and this is just a, an aside. It seems to me they have an awful lot of similarities with what the with Scientology. But people uh-huh. would go absolutely nuts if they said there's a Scientologist school opening up down yep. the road. Why aren't people going equally nuts over over Steiner schools, given that they have the exact same modus operandi? Um, I've got two words to probably answer that: Tom Cruise. <laughs> <laughs> um, yeah, I've just finished reading uh, John Sweeney's book on. Uh, his making of the panorama programs into Scientology and uh, that's a frightening organisation and it, there's lots of differences between Scientology and Anthroposophy but there's also lots of similarities I would say um, you know the obvious question are they a cult and uh, uh, in, in Sweeney's book he um, he looks at um, some criteria that you might use to define a cult and it's a difficult subject that everyone could agree on I'm sure we'd have a slightly different views on this but he has three main criteria that uh uh, he, he, he tries to assess whether Scientology is a cult. The first is, uh, an overarching leader who is the divine source of all revelation and goodness and so on. Okay. Um, the second one is a, um, brainwashing, which is a bit of a problematic word in its own right. Um, uh, but then you can break that down into sort of, he breaks that down into a number of criteria to look at how, what brainwashing actually means in terms of thought control and so on. And, uh, um, I think, yes, that, that a lot of red flags go up around on anthroposophy, which I'm going to write about in the future. Okay, and the third one is harm. Does it do harm? Uh, and Scientology, that's very easy to describe. I think uh, uh, in Steiner schools, you, it's a little bit harder, but nonetheless, I think there's definitely harm being done. Definitely, it's anti-educational, and it's worse than that. Um, let me respond with an anecdote about this. is two weeks ago in Lewis. Uh, I did this talk, which is a few miles from Brighton and East Grinstead, which is the home of anthroposophy and Scientology in the UK. And um, uh, the, the anthroposophists were tipped off that I was talking, and it was packed. The room was absolutely packed and uh, flooded with parents of the Steiner schools locally 
uh, former pupils, and the anthroposophists as well, you know, the uh, people who really, really believed. And um, uh, there's one young woman who stood up at the end of my talk, and um, after I'd been called a bully and a liar and all sorts of things by a lot of other people, and uh, she said, I'm very, very disappointed in your talk uh, because um, I grew up in an anthroposophical family and my parents were anthroposophists and uh, my father wrote anthroposophy, anthroposophy books um, and I went to an anthroposophy school and uh, it was wonderful. And she said, she said, but my sister did die because she believed in homeopathy. <laughs> and that, you know, we laugh here, there was stunned silence. How do you describe that? You know, this is a woman who's viewed her experience with the Steiner movement as positive, and yet killed a sister that she admitted herself. Quite bizarre. So, is it the same with Scientology? I think there are things I'd be very, very concerned about there. Yeah. Yeah, you might possibly have already done what I was going to ask about, which was more anecdotes about the responses from people who are believers yeah. in this stuff. Because yeah. I, I like your example of the. Uh, the people who believe that the heart is not a pump. Yeah. Because you think, well, what happens when you put an artificial heart in? I, I mean, does the, the blood pump the, uh, yeah. uh, the pump? Uh, yeah. there, were there other things like that that struck you? But I mean, you've already given a lovely example just now. Yeah. Uh, good grief. Um, yeah, people will comment on my website and so on, but it's great to actually meet, um, I think understanding the Steiner movement as well, it's esoteric and it's, in, it's initiated as well. Okay, so there are layers of belief here, layers of involvement in the movement. So in Edinburgh, uh, there were, there were Steiner parents and Steiner teachers and some anthroposophists as well. And the anthroposophists tend to be governors and the lurkers in the background. Dare I describe them as the shadowy figures who control everything. Okay. And they spoke with German accents like this and were very angry at me. Okay. But this teacher, who was a math teacher, was lovely. And we went out for a beer afterwards, and uh, she described what she did. And do you know what? I'm sure she's a fantastic math teacher, okay? She was there because she, she said she's not really into all that spiritual stuff, but she loved the open environment where she didn't have to teach the national curriculum and she could teach mathematics in her own way. And you have to be a little bit careful speaking to someone like that because it's difficult to know whether someone really understands what they're doing and, you know, whether the, how much they're being influenced by anthroposophy. And I've come across cases where they're lying as well. People lie. Okay. And they, um, and another anecdote was from a parent in Leicester who was an academic in the University of Le- Leicester who stood up and said, I sent my children to Steiner school because I loved all the fluffy knitted gnomes and so on and, um, thought it was wonderful. And uh, because I was an academic, what they do is they draw parents in, okay? You're, as a private school, it's, it's run on a shoestring. Parents are supposed to come in and help out and clean the toilets, quite literally. She was brought in, and they, they have study groups where they start bringing parents in who might be receptive to the anthroposophical message into study groups. And she was brought in and said, come and use our library. Come and read about Rudolf Steiner and so on. And so this woman went into the library and sat down and thought, this is wonderful, you know, I'll start reading about this. And she said, I was horrified because so she started reading what I've been describing, you know. And um, she stood up at the end and, and just said, I suddenly realized that I'd been lied to and lied to and lied to. And uh, so that's why it's difficult to, 
I'd say engage sometimes with people in the Steiner movement because you've gone down the rabbit hole. It's very difficult to know what people are saying because they believe it or because I'm not spiritually ready to understand it or whether they're just being straightforwardly deceitful. It's a hard, hard world to understand. <laughs> anymore. Have we any figures for how many anthroposophists there are in the country at the moment? Um, there's a, a, a wonderful book called The Sun at Midnight. If you um, want to understand this movement, you probably ought to get hold of on Amazon. The Sun at Midnight. Um, and it, it's quite kind in many ways to anthroposophy in that it doesn't really go into the racism issues too much, but it, it, it's quite objective in some of these things, and it talks about the difficulty of understanding that question, really, because um, the, the, they will deny that this is a central organisation or controlling or powerful, and all the schools are independent and so on, and uh, the Anthroposophical Society of the UK is an independent organisation, and the Steiner Waldorf Schools Fellowship is an independent organisation. Uh, which is true to a extent, but all these things fit together into a web. Um, so there is the uh, General Anthroposophical Society, which is based in Dornach in Switzerland, which is like the headquarters of anthroposophy. And in 2001, there were about 51,000 paid-up members. Uh, does that mean there's 51,000 anthropo- anthroposophists? Probably not, because some people join the society in the UK and not the Swiss one and vice versa. Uh, there's also people who work in, say, Steiner schools who are not members, but are very deeply involved with anthroposophy. So I think there was a freedom of information request quite recently to Hereford asking how many members of the staff were members of the General Anthroposophical Society. And they resisted and resisted and didn't want to let it out. And it went on for months and months and months. Information commissioner. And I think when they finally released the figures, there were three. Okay. Uh, that doesn't mean there's only three anthroposophists in that, that school. So, it could be 50,000, it could be 200,000. Uh, there are about 1,000 schools in the world. But even then, those figures vary because there are lots of kindergartens that are quite loose and so on. So about 5,000 pupils in the UK at the moment. It, it's slippery. But we're talking probably about hundreds of thousands of people. And in the UK, tens of thousands of people. I wonder if I could make a couple of points about the Department for Education. Um, I think that free schools can't sidestep the requirement to be assessed. And so the school in Hertfordshire, uh, and in due course the school in Froome, uh, should have published results yep. uh, saying how well their pupils have done. Yeah. Uh, and so that would probably answer the question yep. uh, that was asked here. But on a separate They're note, trying to get that sidestep, though. I'm sure they are. Yeah. Uh, but on a separate <laughs> note, um, yeah. the, those that are wanting to uh, set up free schools uh, are given paperwork by the Department for Education. Um, uh, and one of the paragraphs in one of those documents uh, says that their beliefs shall not be contrary to mainstream scientific beliefs yeah. At, yeah. The, at the moment. And yeah. I would have thought from what you've said yeah. that... There is overwhelming evidence uh, that they fall foul of that requirement. I mean, they're, they're, they're pseudo-scientific on so many, yeah. so many levels. So I would hope but people are pointing this out to the DfE that, yeah. uh, that they're falling foul of their own requirements. That, yes, exactly. So the question is, um, Steiner's beliefs were clearly pseudo-scientific, and yet the free school agreement is that they shan't teach pseudoscience. First of all, there's, there's a very real level that the people involved in 
uh, Steiner movement don't believe, obviously, that they're teaching pseudoscience. They believe this is a real scientific endeavor they're engaged on. Uh, so of course they're not going to hold up their hands and say, yeah, we're teaching something un, you know, yeah. <laughs> yeah. Yeah. No, no, no. And I think as well that the Steiner movement is very good at denying that they, they do this. Because at some level they do teach evolution. They do teach evolution, for example. But the next day they might be undermining it. Okay. So they can hold their hands up and say, look, here's our materials teaching evolution. But, uh, I, I just don't know how to get the, Department of Education to realise this unless you literally catch them in the act with a video or something. It's really hard. You could put all the teaching materials in front of them and everything, but they're very good at denying this actually happens. They've moved on from Steiner's works. They've that's historical. We are different now. We are progressive. We accept all these things. But of course, I don't believe a word of it. And you might not as well. It's really hard. Thank you. Uh th- thank you f- for your talk. Mm-hmm. Uh uh, I'm I'm a Steiner survivor, as you might say. Uh, um, Fantastic. I don't see myself as a survivor, but uh, uh, I went to Steiner School for 12 years, um, and I, I guess I'm uh, one of those rare exceptions now that I'm, I'm at Oxford. Um, so, but I don't want to disprove you. Yeah. Uh, the way uh, you have probably tried to disprove uh, what you imagine I've experienced. Um, you said at the beginning that. Uh, you feel like you've just skimmed the surface. Yeah. Uh, uh, and I wonder, you know, what you would like to know more about, because I know the, my experience personally, I don't see myself as an ant- anthroposophist. I don't think I've been indoctrinated. Yeah. I don't think I've missed out on, yeah. I don't think I've learned a lot of pseudoscience uh, in, in the time I was spent there. But maybe if you spend... Uh, yeah, I'm, I'm wondering just uh, why there is such a stark contrast between what I experience and, and uh, what you feel is, is, is so threatening. Uh, maybe you could uh, do some field work. I study anthropology. I'm thinking you could maybe do some, add some ethnography mm. to your quantitative data. Yeah, thank you. Quantitative data, yes. Uh, you know, someone said to me before, you know, have I been to a Steiner school? And I have to hand up, hold my hand up and say, no, I haven't been to a Steiner school. I think, um, would that form the basis of my opinions if I'd been in there? What would I understand and how would that challenge my beliefs if I was in a Steiner school? Because my, my, my central criticism of Steiner schools is that, um, they're not open and honest about the spiritual philosophy and goals of the Steiner movement. So that people then can't make informed decisions about uh, sending their children to their school and what that means for them. Um, that would be my central central concern that distilled out of everything I've said. Uh, so spending a day in a Steiner school, what would that do for me? What would that do for me? I, I, it'd be nice, but I'm not sure it would change that central concern. Where I do get my information from. Um, is uh, people who've been in the Steiner environment. Uh, I've got a very good friend who actually started to set up a new Steiner school. And so has first-hand experience of being a parent with children there and then <coughs> being encouraged to set up uh, uh, a new school in London, this was, and um, very quickly realised that uh, there were people there who were controlling the goals of what these couple were trying to do with the school and so it became 
it was only then she started up peeling back the layers and uncovering that it wasn't just about your rhythmy and watercolour art and so on and gnomes. There was actually a deep spiritual philosophy underneath this. And uh, so I've spoken to people like yourself who aren't aware of that spiritual philosophy because they don't teach it. Absolutely, they don't teach it. When they say that, it's true. But that doesn't mean what's going on within the Steiner school has spiritual aims, has spiritual reasons, and has goals that are not disclosed to parents. So that's my feeling of where this contrast comes from because you're not the first person to say that sort of tested me to me, that I've been to a Steiner school and I feel, you know, what you said there doesn't reflect on my experience, and I can understand that, because what I'm not describing as the direct day-to-day teaching, I'm describing about why Steiner schools exist in the first place, and what they're trying to do with people that are there, and so on. I'm not sure I answered your question, because it's a big topic, and maybe we can sit down afterwards, but uh, it's, uh, it's a challenging one, absolutely. Hmm. Uh, I think that the crux of, of the question, um, yeah, because you know, you're, you're touring the country, you know, as I understand, and yeah. And this is a, a hotly contested yeah. public issue, as you see it, you know, yeah. because it involves you know, big questions of uh, accountability and should we fund this? And yeah. you know, so futures are at stake. Mm. So uh, um, I, I, I think it's great that you investigate it. I think yeah. we should duly investigate absolutely everything, yeah. Yeah. not just Steiner schools, not just you know, or Montessori schools or regular schools. And uh, I think. One really important bit that I missed from from your talk is that one of the core ethos that I that I that I, uh, I picked up on while, while I was in Steiner School was that do not do not repeat after me. This is what this is what Steiner uh, really taught as well. I think yeah. is and uh, and I know you think you know there's a lot of copying and and all yeah. of this, and I can see why you'd think that. Um, but something that comes over and over and over and over again uh, in my experience is that Steiner was f- very anti-dogmatic, yeah. um, and said to you know he said to people who tried to follow him, yeah. "Don't follow me, go away." You know, a bit like the Monty Python sketch. Yeah, <laughs> <laughs> think and, for yourselves. And, and yeah. you know, Monty, you know, this, uh, yeah. it's true how humans work like that, and 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 yeah. funny things come after it, just like with you know. What Monty Python, what, what they were referring to, you know, yeah. uh, that historical peculiarity. And so I think the crux, to cut it short, is um, are these funny and deeply problematic beliefs? I agree with yeah. you, some of them. Are they really informing what is going on yeah. now? And if so, maybe we should take the good that has come out of it yeah. and um, eliminate, or not eliminate, but uh, you know, address uh what 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 is there that is not right because uh, i think one to balance your 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 uh, your indictment a little yeah. bit maybe yeah um it would be useful to show also uh, uh the positive initiatives that have come out of it like you know you alluded to the transparency in the community banking yeah um i think organic farming is something that a lot of lo- lots of people yeah. are slowly awaking mm-hmm. to um, you've, you've had, made a lot of points, and I'd like to start trying yeah. to address them. Actually, so, yeah, yeah. Ha- thank you. Yeah. <laughs> but uh, yeah, yeah. Um, good grief! I've forgotten where, where to start now because there was a number of things that occurred to me as you were saying that. Um, yes, I, 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 I speaking to someone last week who'd been inside Steiner schools last week about this idea that Steiner himself said, "Don't follow me; think for yourselves and discover these things for yourselves." 
And you, you know what? The, the person said to me, but what happens is no one does. Okay. Because what he said principally was not true, that it's not possible to form repeatable observations of these Akashic records through meditation and clairvoyance. Um, so that uh, people within the Steiner movement, of course, <clears throat> essentially fall back on the words of Steiner. And I think that's a problem in, in that there's been very little progression, if any, from the 1920s, because how can you? It's a revelation. It's not, it's not a science. Okay. So even though he said those things, I don't see it as being true, okay? that the movement has um, not moved on through its own progression. So that's one thing. Um, God, where were we now? Um, I've forgotten. <laughs> Agriculture. Agriculture. Yes, um, yeah, it, it's, but it's also not true that biodynamics is the same as organic. I mean, we could criticize organic as being progressive and ecological as well. It's, it's quite dogmatic in, in a lot of things the organic movement says, its standards and so on. And biodynamic movement is 20 times as bad, okay? Because it's not, it's not based on science. It's based on astrology and clairvoyance. It's not doing anything for the environment. It's doing things for people's spiritual karma. Okay, so I think it's misle- when you go to the Demeter website, it's misleading to see it as being ecological and so on because that's not its goals. Okay, if they are ecological, it's it's a a byproduct of these low intensity, rather, what's the word I could use? Quaint practices um, that aren't going to solve any real issues in the world of agriculture whatsoever. <laughs> I'm, I'm interested, I, I must say, and this is definitely going to drive everyone to the bar, in the relationship between Lucifer and Ahriman. Oh, good grief, yes. There are a lot of dualisms floating around in this. I, yeah. I, I, can, I can hear traces of Jung as well with yeah. his paintings. It, a lot of things that were be interesting people at, at the end of the 19th century, the beginning of the 20th mm. century. Obviously, Steiner died at a convenient time. Yeah. What was the position of, of these, I'd better not try saying the word, and, uh, his followers. Yeah. Uh, during the, in the Third Reich, yeah. because obviously some of his his opinions, as as yeah. you or as, as you present them, would be very suitable for, for that era. It's it's a fascinating subject about Steinerism and the Third Reich. Um, uh, the Steiner movement is very keen to distance itself, quite obviously, yes. and saying that yes. uh, that Steiner schools were shut down and anthroposophists were persecuted, um, which. Yes, they were, okay? Uh, in the end, okay, in the late stages of Hitler's regime, Steiner schools were shut down and so on. But only insofar that pretty much everyone was shut down and everyone was persecuted who wasn't a Nazi, essentially. So, but before that, um, there, there, there was lots of interplay between, um, uh, from what I understand, between uh, anthroposophy and these occult beliefs and, and Nazism, and in the fact that I think was it uh, Hess was a Rudolf Hess was a big supporter of Steiner schools, so the collapse of support f- started when he fled to Scotland. Yeah, Himmler, Himmler again uh, set up biodynamic farms and gardens in Dachau uh, and so on. Um, so. Uh, and Walida was supplying medical products to the concentration camps. So it's a messy, mixed um, history. And I, I don't want to draw anything more than that. I'm not saying that anthroposophists are Nazis, but, but, but they do deny it and don't want to discuss these issues. I think there's probably more, more of the important part that there's a, a messy history between 
the, the sort of racist occult views of his followers then and the Nazis' views as well. They, were, they weren't the same views, but in some areas they, they seem to be fellow travellers then and some of the same paths. He, he, he said some very anti-Semitic things, uh, uh, Steiner, which uh, they, they were a, a race that were no longer required. Now they'd fulfilled their, their historical destiny and so on. So you can imagine that fitted in quite well with some of the political agendas at the time. Not a very nice note to end on, <laughs> but uh, but it's it's uh, no it's a uh, it's a messy messy bit of history there yeah that uh, yeah. Um, I was going to ask about um, people with learning disabilities. Yeah. Because um, I can, as someone who works in the field of dyslexia, I can see that quite a few parents might be quite interested in these schools with them. Um, um, delaying leading, reading yeah. and writing to an later age that maybe yeah. that's why their children aren't learning to read and write in st- regular schools that maybe it's too yeah. early for them yeah. and I, I'm wondering if the schools are kind of promoting that as um, maybe yeah. something to look at um, Most of these teachers are completely unqualified which would be the first problem uh, they don't understand any of these issues. I think there's two two main issues though, okay? first of all there's a philosophical problem here as well people with disabilities must have wanted to be disabled because of their karma. Okay, that's sort of like a karmic view, which is pretty disgusting. Okay, so we've got to help their karmic destiny to work them out, which I, I think is not a very nice way of viewing these things. Secondly, Steiner had lots of pseudoscientific ways of treating people with various learning disabilities. So, for example, people that, it was quite big on speech therapy, for example, and there's a there's a, a Steiner branch of speech therapy called is it. Uh, uh, chirophonetics, I believe it's called, which is, uh, teaching people with speech disabilities to speak better using massage and sound. Okay. So hands on touch, completely pseudoscientific. So if you're going to send your, your kids there with a specific problem, A, there's a rather unpleasant philosophy behind it and that B, they're going to get treated by anthroposophical doctors and people with completely pseudoscientific views of, of treatment, which uh, I don't think is going to have any very good outcomes. Um, I was kind of interesting because obviously that's not what they're going to be telling. No, parents. of course not. No. So I was wondering no. kind of how they were promoting it to the parents, rather well, as opposed. To- go and look at the websites. Everything you you will see nothing that I've talked about tonight on all the websites. It's all about holistic education, take into account of the specific needs of childhood development and so on. Uh, artistic creation and play, self ch- student centered learning and so on. All the things that will appeal to you and be very alluring as a concerned parent, uh, today. So, yeah, I think it's deceptive. I, I d- is this working? I, I just yeah. wondered, uh, which is the website from which you got the parental complaints, please? Oh, uh, good grief. Um, th- there's stuff all over the web, really. Oh, okay. there, there's stuff in America, uh, you know, there's various Waldorf, an interesting yeah, little, little list Google things, Wardorf yeah. Watch, and start, you know, uh, Anthroposophy, Anthroposophy UK, and so on. There, yeah. There's all sorts of websites out there. Uh, half an hour of Googling, you will find or type in Steiner Survivor. <laughs> Sorry, this is going to come across as, again, more yeah. of an observation, but um, being Irish, I went to a Catholic school, given that 98% of schools in Ireland are Catholic. Yeah, yeah. Um, but the thing about that, I think the difference between, and you get indoctrinated into a lot of weird things, yeah. but the difference between that and this, and it's something I think addresses your point a bit, is 
when you go into a Catholic school, maybe this is just an Irish thing, when you go into a Catholic school, you know you're going to be thought a lot of bullshit about yeah. a certain topic. Yeah. And you go in, and even your parents will say to you, yeah, they're going to teach you about that, and that's a lot of shite. So yeah, yeah, yeah. yeah. I- ignore that. And, and We've you suddenly in, descended into an episode of Father Ted here, haven't we? <laughs> It's, yeah. it's kind of very close to reality. Yeah. But you yeah. go in and you kind of yeah. you don't take it all that seriously, and and, yeah. and you know they come in and talk to you about stuff, and you nod and go yeah, and then ignore it. Yeah. Um, but if you're going in and, and but the parents know that's going to be thought, yeah. and they know they have very little choice in that. Yeah. But I think the fundamental difference here is that people don't know what they're what they're yeah. being thought, and there's deliberately steps being taken to to make that a bit of yeah. juice. Yeah. And that I think is is a totally valid cause for complaint. I wouldn't like to send kids of mine to a school that yeah. I didn't know. If, if they're going to have some crap, sure, but at least yeah. I know it's crap. And yeah. I can then take steps to circumvent that. Yeah. Do you know, uh, uh, this research has led me to a, a rather horrific conclusion I thought I'd never say, and that's, thank God, my local school's a C of E, right? <laughs> <sighs> I thought I'd never say that. Sorry? Yeah, yeah. <laughs> exactly. Dog. Thank dog. Yeah. Um... Yeah, because uh, I, I I have some inkling of what I'm getting into there, and I think that's probably um, forewarned is forewarned. And also, Michael Gove's not going to muck around with C of E schools as well, like he will do with every other school. But that's getting political now. Um, I don't know if you want another beer, but should we have informal talks if we want to now? Because it's <laughs> half past. I've got one. Yeah, yeah go on. Yeah. You linked yeah. briefly between. Mm. The similarities between Steiner and Scientology. Yeah. Um, and you spoke about them dividing children into types yeah. in Steiner schools. Yeah. Um, in Scientology, people like us would be labeled suppressive personalities, <laughs> i.e. not very nice. Um, yeah. <laughs> do us skeptics particularly have a type under Steiner <laughs> that um, we should maybe be proud of? Uh, well, there's a four, four one, so it's going to depend on your body shape and head size and all sorts of things, so. Big. Yeah. I, I, no. <laughs> I'm on dangerous territory here. Um, but, uh, yeah, I think, um, I, do you know, I get the impression there's a sense of, uh, spiritual superiority here, that we're, we're inferior people almost to be pitied because we can't see the spiritual truth about what's going on in the world. And, uh, you know, it's, it's sort of consent, you know, unlike, in some ways, I get these people are quite nice, but uh, condescending to sort of our view, worldview. I don't think they're, they're nasty. We're not going to get black vans patrolling up and down here photographing us on the way out, shall we say, as we might do if we'd had this about Scientology. It's a bit of a shame. Although I have had a few funny phone calls. But Sorry, that, that was me. Yeah, that might be from homeopaths, so, yeah. <laughs> Any more questions? Yeah. Yeah. Wave like a lunatic if you do otherwise. Uh, give a round of applause one last time. Thank you very Adios. much, everyone. Thank you. Thank you.